welcome back to Kaveh Screening Room, a podcast centered around cinema, the industry, and the future. And what better way to celebrate cinema than with what I would say is the pinnacle of cinema? All jokes aside, of course, we are talking about the new Fast and Furious movie, F9. It is here after a lot of delays. Um, it kind of burst onto the scene, I think, in January 2020 with a four-minute trailer, which really goes to show the misplaced confidence that the Fast and Furious series has in general. Then got delayed, of course, to COVID, and now we're we're back. It's in the cinema. It is showing now. It made $70 million in its opening weekend. It's going to drop a lot in this past weekend. I don't know, recording before that. But I'm just going to be talking a little bit about it and then probably recommend or definitely recommend five movies that I think you should watch instead, maybe six. We'll see. But first, let us dive into Fast 9, also known as F9, which is a very odd name for the movie, but makes sense. It's just very weird. I don't know why they try to have fun with the names when they're... It makes no sense. Anyways, so if you have not seen it yet or any of these movies, F9 is the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious series, which is basically a street racing series turned into a globetrotting spy mission series. It's... I can't even explain how that happened. I think the fifth movie really marked a difference. And since then, it's made so much money. It's one of the highest grossing franchises in the world and is not planning on stopping anytime soon, especially because all the stars, especially the main star, Vin Diesel, loves doing these movies and puts a lot into them, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But basically, this one is set between the feud between Dominic Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, and his brother Jacob, played by John Cena, who's quite an obvious stand-in for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is in the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th movies and is notably absent from this one. I'm pretty sure because of the feud between him and Vin Diesel, which maybe I'll talk about, but if not, you should definitely look it up. Very interesting stuff. So basically, it's your typical Fast and Furious plot. Someone's trying to steal something that's kind of explained in an exposition dump, but not really too much. And Jacob is working with some rich diplomat's son who wants to get control of this machine that would allow them to i'm pretty sure it's arm all of the weapons around the world and threaten anyone they need to including countries most notably countries but again it's it's been two weeks and these movies all the information presented in these movies fades out very quickly sometimes even during the movie because of what the hell is happening on screen reaction but um, basically, if you watch The Fate of the Furious, which is the eighth one, Charlize Theron's cipher is kind of the villain, but is mostly kept in a box and making Star Wars jokes for most of her cameo. Um, actually, that reminds me. There might be some spoilers as we get into Fast and Furious 9. So if you have not seen it, I recommend you skip ahead. You can see where the action movie combo starts later in the episode in the description. But let's just talk about break this movie down so firstly and i think this is pretty important because it does set a major tone away from uh six not six seven and eight in particular is that jason statham is also not in this until the very end in a um post-credit stinger cameo scene it's not too surprising because hobbs and shaw which is a fast and furious spinoff was very successful and probably the better option because I think Universal realized they need to keep Dwayne and Vin away from each other, but could continue making money, and it worked. That movie made a lot of money, but Dwayne is not in it, and I think 
the lack of his presence actually makes it a lot less smooth because I wasn't the biggest fan in the Furious guy, but or Fast Five, honestly. I'm not the biggest fan of this series in general, although I really, really enjoy watching the action sequences. But Dwayne was kind of the glue that held everyone together. Of course, Brian, played by Paul Walker, was like the glue that held everyone together. But sadly, he's no longer with us. And I don't know. It was just very weird not seeing him. I don't think John Cena... It's obvious that they wanted John Cena in it to replace him, which didn't really work that well because John Cena did not really give a convincing performance as the villain who will eventually turn into an aide to the family and... Obviously, he does at the end, and he's invited to the cookout, which is kind of a dub, but I don't know. I just didn't buy his character. I thought it was obvious he was going to get played. It was obviously it was obvious he was going to play people, so there's just not that much to it, and even with Dwayne and Vince Feud, I love how I'm referring to them as first names as if I know them personally, but you know what? I'm going to continue with it. Even with that feud, though, they had a really, really good chemistry on screen that I don't think John Cena has, partly because I'm not convinced John Cena is the greatest actor, and if he is, this is definitely not his movie, but also the script is really, really like rough and does not know how to treat its emotional and cinematic aspects together, which I'm going to talk a little bit about. So basically, F9 opens with a flashback scene of what we think is Dom's brother getting into a car crash on a speedway, but it turns out it's his dad and his brother might have had something to do with it so basically these flashbacks which are shot in a different with a different camera and like are grainier so you can obviously tell their flashbacks plus the most obvious part is that young jacob and young vin are being played not young vin young dom are being played by two other people because john cena and vin diesel playing like 18 year old to 20 year old versions of themselves would be crazy but unsurprising for this franchise which loki would have liked that better but anyway There's basically these flashbacks interspersed without the movie that come in really odd spots and bring a plethora of emotion to a franchise that does have emotion but doesn't try to show it, which is why it kind of works. For example, Furious 7, before the Paul Walker tribute, which is just an incredible tribute, there's this emotional moment that feels so real. And I think it's because the actors weren't trying to be over-emotional, but in this one they most definitely are. Especially Vin Diesel, who's he's been very on the record that he loves this franchise and all power to him. He's he is the shepherd of it. He's made billions for Universal and just made nine of these movies now. But the emotional aspects really, really don't work and feel very like out of place and part of a different movie and kind of disrupt from the action. And the annoying the most annoying part about that is that it puts so much spotlight on Dom that it takes away from the rest of the family, which is ironic because this is probably the most more family aspect of Fast and Furious multiplied by a hundred because they do not shut up about family in this one. They don't really shut up about family in any of them, but this one's really, really borderline obnoxious about it. But all the characters really felt separate from each other or contained within two, not two groups, just multiple groups. For example, Tej, played by Ludacris, Roman, played by Tyrese Gibson, and Ramsey, played by Natalie Emanuel, are probably my three favorite characters in this franchise. I think they were probably the reason why I love Furious 7 so much and find the eighth one mildly entertaining is because of their banter and the way they play off of each other. 
But this one, it felt like the three of them were just their own team that was part of this bigger family. They all had their own side missions. They didn't really talk to Dom or Letty or any of them. And that was the biggest problem with it is that none of the people really felt like they were a team. It felt like they were all on separate missions going through their own stuff, which is understandable because it's Dom's brother. So obviously he's going to have more of a connection, but still feels weird because this is a franchise that is literally based off of the word family. And I don't know. I didn't like that part. And I thought it took me out of the movie completely. Uh, Mia, played by Jordana Brewster, who was Brian, Paul Walker's wife, is back. She's killing it, as usual. I was glad to see her and Han, who res- played by Sung Kang, who resurrected from the dead, which is insane and is not explained in a convincing way. But none of these movies are that convincing. But I'm glad to see he was back. And it's nice to have everyone back. It just sucks that they weren't given a script that made it feel like they returned. For example, when Han came back, it should have been this bombshell moment where like everyone was so happy and that is there, but it just does not feel as warranted as it would have in the hands of a different director. Not even a different director because Justin Lin has made like four or five of these movies, but a different script at least. So part of Fast and Furious in general is the stunts and they are definitely here. Stupider than ever, but very, very entertaining. There is an opening scene after the flashback scene. Not that much context is given for what they're doing, but they're basically... Well, there is context, but it's forgettable. But they're basically driving through these landmines, trying to avoid getting hit. Letty's on a motorcycle. It's awesome. There's this wild jump off of a cliff into a plane, and I'm not even going to get into that, but it kind of sets the bar really high and then never really lives up to it in my opinion there's a lot of magnets which is very odd because they kind of just stumble upon this giant magnet and then start using it for everything which wrecks a lot of cars and is very entertaining to watch especially in the final sequence but it feels like an easy cop-out for some reason and i don't know i, I wasn't really a fan of the magnets but it's, it's very funny the way they use them and pretty effective they destroy a lot of people and enemies and cars with them um and then finally it has happened kind of the fast and furious crew has gone to space but it's pretty uninteresting and not what i was hoping for when i heard that they would be going to space they kind of just go up uh it's just tej and roman and just chill out there and it has a weird cut from all this magnet car exploding destroying this city action to just Tej and Roman talking about physics in space. Obviously, it's silent around them. There's no big stunt energy besides the fact that they're in space because they're the only ones in space in a... I think it's a Pontiac, but I'm not sure. And I don't know. When I heard Fast and Furious were going to space, I thought they were like getting into the spaceship and just going off. I didn't know how they were going to do it, but I also never expected a submarine or them jumping out of planes but they managed to do it but this way felt like a weird detour from all the hardcore action that was happening in this last act overall it's fine it's nothing to write home about i think i'm glad justin lynn is back i think he's probably the most consistent director in this franchise because he's directed so many of them but also because he kind of understands how characters should move and how to build a progression so that the stunts get wilder as they go along and as a result more entertaining 
Um, I did get the chance to see it in IMAX, which I think I would recommend. It was pretty fun seeing it on a big screen, especially because the action is so high stakes and it's definitely full of action. And if that's what you want, then you should probably go see it. But if you don't want to go to the theaters just yet, or that does not sound interesting to you, I have a list of some great action movies that I think you should definitely check out. Some big, some small, some old, some new, some underrated, some perfectly fine rated, but worth shouting out. So stick around as I get into some action movies you should check out. Alright, so welcome back. I'm pretty excited, honestly, to talk about some action movies because I think action is probably one of my favorite genres of film in general. Old or new, I think it's probably the most entertaining genre to kind of just pick any movie from and sit back and watch because it's easy to just turn your brain off and watch big explosions and stuff happen or turn your brain on and think critically about certain things happening on screen, which is even more impressive. And I think it's a pretty versatile genre that has had a pretty good run. So in honor of that, I am going to highlight six movies that I really, really enjoy. Some are old. I don't think any are like truly, truly old from like the 50s and stuff. I think the earliest is from the 80s to newer movies. I think the latest one is from 2018. Uh, Some of these are pretty famous and I will make note of that because obviously Mission Impossible movies are very popular. Fast and Furious movies even are pretty popular. Little spoiler for what's about to commence on this podcast. But I think some of these went way, way too under the radar. And if more people watch them, I think you might really enjoy them. And again, I'll say it again. Action is just a great genre to explore. So Please don't think these are the only movies I'm recommending. It's in the essence of time. These are six that I think are worth your time if you have not seen them. So the first one, I'm going to start with probably the most famous, maybe second most famous one, is Mission Impossible Fallout with the man Tom Cruise, the ultimate, one of the ultimate stunt kings because as known, he does his own stunts in these movies and I think Fallout is definitely the best Mission Impossible in my opinion. It's the most self-aware of what it wants to be and you don't necessarily need to see that many mission impossible movies to enjoy this i think the fifth one would help because it introduces the character of ilsa played by rebecca ferguson who has a pretty big part in this movie and is kind of the romantic interest a little bit but also her canon continues from the fifth movie and things get resolved from that movie but regardless the stunts in this movie are absolutely incredible there's a halo jump which is a uh, high altitude low oxygen i believe done by tom cruise himself very dangerous to do obviously because i don't know skydiving scares me in general so i can't imagine what he was thinking doing this and the cameraman with him but that just is i think within the first 30 minutes of this movie and then things get even crazier there's insane motorcycle chases through paris multiple and just a final scene that It's easy for movies to go overboard and waste their, not even waste their budget, but be too crazy too early in the movie and then lead to a disappointing finale. And that is most definitely not the case with Mission Impossible because the end of this movie, not the end, the final climactic chase of this movie is 
literally Tom Cruise dangling from a helicopter and flying a helicopter. And it is one of the most cinematically enthralling experiences that I've had in recent years. I think I saw it like three times in the movie theater. And it's one of those movies that is just so incredibly well made from every perspective. The acting is great. The script is really, really well written and always keeps you into it. There's a lot of themes about being trying to be human with a job like Ethan Hunt. And those could have been delivered in really corny ways, but none of them are. And of course, that paired with the excellent direction from Christopher McQuarrie, all the different settings that keep you interested, and the stunts, obviously, is just amazing. I think there's this one shot that is Tom Cruise running on top of, I believe, Blackfriars train station in London, which is like a bridge, and he's off-center, and it's because... He hurt his ankle, which I think eventually he broke his ankle, but continued to do the set, which shows his ultimate commitment to this movie and makes it so much more interesting to watch. And yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout is an incredible movie. Henry Cavill, who plays a supporting role in this movie, literally reloads his arms. And in the trailer, they had a reloading sound with it. And if that doesn't show you how awesome this movie is, I don't know what would. Um, The second one is a much more low-key movie that... I was shocked did not get the attention that I think it deserves. It's a Japanese film called First Love from an incredible director, Takashi Mike, who has been delivering action movies for a very long time. And I have not dove into his work just yet besides this film, but I'm very excited to. I've heard 13 Assassins is great. I think that's from 2010. But First Love is just a wild movie. The bare bones synopsis is about a young boxer and a prostitute get mixed up together and have to fight their way through a wild night filled with drug smuggling villains even assassins and just so many enemies it's it starts off a little little slow which is very funny because once the action actually starts it's completely non-stop and the characters are so interesting and it's one of those movies that all the fight scenes feel very different even though they're all just fight scenes there's no giant stunts like helicopter piloting or cars jumping out of planes but in general it's impossible to look away from and the characters are very interesting there's a lot to love with this one I haven't actually seen it since it came out in 2019 but I just remember not knowing what to expect because I had heard good things but was worried because I don't think it made that much money when it released and didn't really release in that many theaters so I thought maybe people just didn't want to see it and I that's a weird excuse but I didn't know what to expect and I really 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 enjoyed it and gotta recommend it because it's just a very fun experience just breezing through these um the third movie is the oldest movie here and probably one of my favorite action movies of all time it is Jackie Chan's police story which oh how to even explain this movie probably one of the most joyous movie watching experiences I had the entire 2020 which says a lot because 2020 was not a joyous time and i was watching this alone on a laptop and i think i was smiling the entire time because it's hilarious it is action-packed and the stunt work which is done by jackie chan is honestly incredible um so in this film jackie chan plays a police officer who has to protect a witness from a bunch of people trying to hunt her uh the witness is played by maggie chung who Jackie Chan and Maggie Chung in a movie together is already gold. And the fact that it's this movie is even better because 
it's the perfect example of a successful action comedy, which I think is probably the easiest genre to mix action with because if done wrong, it's terrible. And it's been done wrong a lot of times, but if it's done right, it's so well done. And I think it's a lot more interesting than watching a drama mixed with some action or action horror because I'm not the biggest horror guy in general, but this movie is so successful because it balances action and comedy perfectly with each other. There are stunts being performed while jokes are being made and it understands how to perform something. I think Jackie Chan in general understands how to perform in a way that's so captivating, even when the stunts range from him like jumping through floors, not through floors, jumping like down multiple floors to just trying to balance like four phones at one time. That sounds really unappealing as I just explained it, but the jumping through floors thing is very appealing. And if that sounds interesting to you, you definitely need to watch Police Story because it is a classic. I think there's like seven of them. I've only seen the first one, but I've heard the second one is also pretty good. It took me by surprise. I think it'll take you by surprise too if you haven't seen it. And more Jackie Chan work in general. Project A also has absolutely insane stunts. Another Jackie Chan film. Jumping off a clock tower is all I'll say, which is pretty revealing but if that sounds like your cup of tea definitely check that one out too but i think police story is the best place to start so family is back again furious 7 i have to talk about it. it is probably the only fast and furious movie that i genuinely like and will rewatch whenever because it's just amazing it's directed by james wan which is notable because it's the only fast and furious movie he's directed and i I don't know what happened, why he didn't come back for 8 or 9, but nothing holds a candle to 7 in my opinion. I think it's the most fully realized and defined Fast and Furious movie in general. Obviously, there's the tribute to Paul Walker, which I talked a little bit about earlier, but it's so well done and honestly gut-wrenching, heartbreaking to watch. I never thought I would tear up to a Wiz Khalifa song, but this movie makes that happen. And I think even before that, it kind of hits the perfect balance between what the original movies were about and the globetrottingness of the five to nine Fast and Furious movies where there are wild stunts. Um, Cars do jump out of planes and buildings, which happened way too early in the movie because the final battle is really underwhelming as a result. But it also has that street racing energy and nails the balance between them in a way that I don't think the other movies have really done. And I think that, not to bash F9 after that discussion, but I think everything that I didn't like about F9 is because it's done so well in F7. Obviously, the stunts are amazing, and they are unrealistic, but they feel weirdly possible in Juan's direction, which I can't fully explain. And I think that it's just genuinely interesting. The dialogue is pretty corny, but well-delivered. Everyone bounces off of each other perfectly. And obviously this is where we're introduced to Ramsey, played by Natalie Emmanuel, who is awesome. And I just can't recommend this one more. Jason Statham is the villain, which really should, if you haven't seen it, that should get you into it more so than anything else because he does an amazing job as the villain and always keeps things interesting. And it's one Fast and Furious movie, maybe the only one to me that feels like it could be a standalone movie. Obviously, there's um, obviously there are certain parts that fall into the broader canon, but cars are jumping off planes. I'm not paying that much attention to the dialogue, if I'm being honest. 
So my next movie, Tom Cruise is back, and it is Edge of Tomorrow, Doug Lehman's Groundhog Day-esque action movie, which I'm going to be honest, it kind of comes before any of the wave of Groundhog Day movies we've been getting recently with Palm Springs, I think The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, and Happy Death Day, which I do like Happy Death Day, but maybe for another episode. And it was kind of the one that I think rebirthed that idea into the cinema world because it does it so successfully. It's basically Groundhog Day with fighting aliens mixed in. And it's so wildly entertaining, even though we're kind of re-seeing things happen so much in it. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt both deliver fantastic performances. And the way the story is pieced together is so captivating and interesting and honestly takes you for so many unexpected twists and turns. I remember I was slightly dreading going to see this back when it came out in theaters but i braved the storm i decided to go and right from the first five minutes i was just sitting there with my jaw dropped watching this intense first scene unfold and then things just got even more intense as it went along and it's just one of those experiences that knowing a little bit about it is fine but if you go in blind to how the plot progresses and how they use this formula to make something that stands out from every other movie that's tried to do this it's just incredible to experience i think they're trying to make a second one i don't know the status of that i don't think they need to in general i haven't seen it since it came out and i do need to rewatch it soon but i remember it thinking this this would be fine on its own and i think part of the reason it works so well is because it's so unique and if they can't replicate that in the second movie, I don't, I think it will just bring this one down. But if you have not seen Edge of Tomorrow, it's very good. It's also kind of called Live, Die, Repeat or Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. I was never sure. I always saw these three different titles just floating around. But yeah, so my final movie is, I would say one of the most underrated. No, I think First Love is the most underrated, but this would be the second most underrated. It is called Unstoppable. Came out in 2010, directed by a man named Tony Scott, starring Chris Pine and Denzel Washington. And it's a very simple plot. It is a train that has dangerous substances on it, has no brakes, and is just speeding through the railroad. They're scared it's going to derail. I believe there's a too sharp of a turn in Scranton, so if the train makes it there, it will fall off. And these two men, Chris Pine, played by Chris Pine and Denzel Washington, have to stop this train. I believe they have 90 minutes to do it or something, maybe 100. The movie itself is 98 minutes long and is so wildly entertaining that it's a perfect example of an action movie that just makes you forget about everything that's happening in the real world, in your life, in the world in general. Just watching these guys try to stop this train and nothing more to it just makes it so captivating. I don't think it gets enough attention, if I'm being honest, because... The stunt work is awesome. I don't think there's that many plots like it. It's the perfect example that a simple premise goes a very, very long way if done right. And if unique enough to captivate and keep one's attention. It's not perfect. It's not even close to perfect, but it's pure entertainment and a medium style of stunt work where it's not these big, big, big action set pieces, but it's not that small either. It's like perfectly fit for the kind of movie it is. And I definitely recommend this one. I don't know what happened to it because it's, I think it did make a lot of money too, but it seems like no one talks about it anymore. And again, I've only seen this one once as well, but I would definitely like to revisit it in the future because I imagine I would enjoy it even more uh, 
what is it 11 years later or something which is crazy to think about but time flies all right so a bit of a short episode today but i just want to say thank you for tuning in i hope those action movie recommendations might have you convinced if you don't want to see f9 or if you just want to watch a good action movie there's definitely more i'll probably be talking about more action movies on this podcast in the future because it's weird that i haven't really gotten to it yet besides discussing individual films like just did at the beginning of the episode but thank you guys for tuning into the screening room again thank you for your support throughout the entire journey can't thank you guys enough i'm so glad that hopefully you're enjoying it and i'm excited to be back in two weeks to do another film festival with Laylee and Sasha Delinas if all goes to plan. So keep your eyes peeled for that and make sure to follow at Kave on Twitter or Instagram to get more about this podcast and movie reviews as the summer movie season kicks into hyperspeed and and check out kavejreviews.com for easy links to all my reviews. Thank you guys again and I will see you soon in the screening room. Peace out.